Welcome back to the Masters of Recon podcast, your top automotive refinishing podcast with your hosts, Corey Kleinfeld and Ryan Brewer. Enjoy the show, guys. Welcome back to the Masters of Recon. Today, we continue down learning more about our industry, and we have Aaron Schulenberg, the Executive Director of SCRS, the Society of Collision Repair Specialists. He has been the Executive Director since 2008 and been around the collision repair industry since the year 2000. Thank you for sharing your time with us, Aaron. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Corey. I appreciate it. I'm, yes. uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Um, so we kind of, I kind of randomly found this road that I went down. I talked to you a little bit about it. I, I interviewed Billy from Collision Consultants. I interviewed Jordan from CIC. And we're just kind of all as a group, everybody that listens to the podcast, going down this road of like really learning more about our industry and how and how how much bigger it is than I would say just our little paintless dent repair world. So tell us a little bit about SCRS, um, a little bit of history of, about it, what you guys do. We'll go from there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think what you're doing is so important, right? Because I think it's really necessary to understand the industry and the relationships between the different aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so SCRS is a national association. We represent collision repair professionals across the United States. Uh, we've got over 6,000 members and collectively about 40 state associations that are under our umbrella. Um, and, you know, our job is to educate, it's to inform, it's to represent collision repair professionals uh, many of our members are small independent businesses and they they need a voice at the table at things that are happening nationally and uh, challenges that they're facing at an industry level. And that's really, I think, where, where SCRS shines is we figure out how to develop resources and provide informational outlets and then and then really speak for those those business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've had a lot of experience working with all those different aspects that fall under the collision repair segment of the of of the of the trade population and mm-hmm. and and so I think this is a this is a good opportunity to help some of your audience learn more about how they can how they can work with groups yeah, like ours. Yeah, for sure. And and we'll bounce around a little bit today, but um just kind of go with the flow on it. How, tell us as an example about what SCR SCRS just did for the collision industry just so people can really understand like the impact that you guys are able to have on the industry in, as a whole and we can to wrap up the industry, we could say body shops, all reconditioning services, PDR, glass repair, and all of that included, plus insurance, ADOS, all of that being in the collision world. Um, yeah. what, what did you guys just do? So I, there's a lot of stuff that we've got actively, you know, sure. kind of that we're working on. I'm assuming you're yeah. probably referring to our blend study. The one we talked about, about the other day. Yeah, that was yeah, like, kind perfect. of like so, a big announcement for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, so our, uh, our members have contended and the industry's really contended for a long time uh, that the blend formulas and the estimating systems are deficient for basically what they're performing. So all collision repair centers use uh, electronic estimating systems. Those estimating systems, mm-hmm. CCC, Mitchell, yeah. Autotex, yeah. right, um, all have guide pages. And, it, and within those, all three of them have defined blending of a panel. So facilitating that invisible color match from mm-hmm. one panel to the next um, as 50% of the base refinish of that panel, okay? And the industry has always said that just isn't reflective of the tasks that we need to do to perform this uh, th- this particular operation. And we, for years as an uh, association, have gone back and put pressure back to the information providers, asking them to revisit those formulas, asking them to take a look at them. And largely those formulas are based on uh, what they claim to be proprietary research that they're not able to share, but <laughs> have basically communicated that they're very comfortable with keeping those uh, those percentages. Um, so despite the pressure, there was really no movement. And, and ultimately, SCRS said, look, this is a really important issue to address for our members. Um, it's time that somebody did some more transparent research around this topic. And so we uh, connected with all five of the North American coatings companies, all the paint companies to say, look, you know, our members expressed that there is a concern here. They believe that it takes more skill, uh, as much time and more operations to perform a blend as it does to, to paint a panel. I also think it's fair to say, you know, we could pull somebody in off the street and teach them how to pull paint edge to edge on a panel. It's much more difficult to create that invisible transition within it. Uh, it takes a lot more skill and 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 knowledge and all of those types of things. 
Um, so it was the first time in history that I'm aware of that all five of the North Americans coding uh, coatings companies came together to collaborate on a research project of this nature. Um, but they all did so without hesitation because this affects their users as well, right? This is something that that they've heard and they've contended as well. Um, so we last summer, uh, August of 2022, we held uh, the research in Osseo, Wisconsin at the Global Finishing Solutions Center for Excellence. Um, nice, for that's awesome. Yeah, it was really <laughs> that cool. Ex that exists, Global Finishing yeah, there's, Solutions. Yeah, there's a number of different places where we could have held it, but that one really was ideal. They had multiple spray areas. They had uh, really it was just set up in a way that we could facilitate multiple companies spraying at the same time, which was really important. We also wanted to make sure that we did it at a neutral location sure, so that it sure. wasn't, you know, oh, you did it at a shop. We also couldn't take productive time away from the shop for an entire week while we went through sure. this process. Um, and we used uh, data to drive the the analytics. We, we basically picked the most appraised vehicle or truck from 2021. Uh, hmm. So 2018 Ford F-150. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yep. Uh, Ford donated 45 new parts uh, that we could use to then conduct the test on, um, where we would then first refinish each part and then blend them to find the comparative value between. Um, and we actually had the study independently audited by DECRA, which is one of the largest uh, testing inspection and certification companies around the globe. Non-collision non industry specific, they just- Non-collision industry specific, okay. right, yeah. So they came in and basically audited our process and then audited to make sure that we followed our process. Sure, sure. And that the times we collected were reflective of what was actually occurring. And then ultimately- Basically like, like fact-checked you guys. Isn't, yeah, is that exactly. Right. We wanted to make sure that nobody could poke holes in the study that we did. Sure. Um, and by the end of it, uh, you know, five companies all spraying, going through a series of routines. What we found was uh, our conclusions came that blending uh, was actually almost 32% greater on average. The and, they, and they were at they were at 50 percent yeah and you're saying yeah. it's, it should be 132 percent essentially yeah exactly <laughs> that's the um, difference it's a bit it's a very yeah. big difference and i wow. think so what's interesting is we presented this at the sema show last fall uh to the industry mm -hmm. and it was um not a surprise to anybody in the room when we asked the audience when we polled them uh if 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 this was something that you know was surprising to them the, the vast majority said no, because this was a reflection of what they were experiencing anyway. So we presented it to the industry, we shared the results, and then we worked with the three information providers to help make sure they understood how we approached the research project, mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. make sure that they uh, understood that this was important to the industry. And all three received a lot of feedback from the industry as well as a result of it. Um, which, we, three, which three providers? Yeah, know. so CCC. Uh, okay, Mitchell, okay, the, 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 okay, those, yes, got it. Yeah, so the, so the three estimating systems. Estimating providers, yeah, okay. Yep, so we're still in conversations with all of them. However, last Friday, uh, or maybe it was the Friday before, uh, we actually received, uh, so Motor and CCC had, had uh, committed to us that they would go through their own research to validate what they found. Um, they responded uh, at the end of Q1 that they had concluded that research. And it promised that by the end of April, they would come back and, and indicate what the result would be of that. Um, and what they had communicated to us is Motor is essentially removing those blend formulas out of their guide. Uh, and CCC is working on their solution on how to now provide an opportunity for the estimate preparer to be able to adjust refinish values mm -hmm. and blend mm -hmm. values based on the end user perception. So now what a shop has is the removal of data that otherwise yeah. was you know, holding them to this discounted amount. Mm -hmm. And they've got a, a scientific study <clears throat> that was third party validated to now scientifically prove to somebody or show to somebody why mm. they may charge for it however they do. Yeah. Um, so it gives a lot more flexibility to those repair facilities to be able to document what what's necessary and be able to recoup on that labor that they were already spending and the materials that they were already purchasing and using. Um, so that's the type of advocacy work. I don't think there's another organization that's similarly situated to be able to coordinate it. That's got the the respect and the and you know the visibility where where you could pull all those national companies mm -hmm. together to, mm -hmm. to participate in it, and then the ability to motivate positive change as a result of it. Yeah. So I hope that gives you guys an idea of the level of stuff that SERS is doing. It's not just 
it's it's legitimate. It's like real changes in the industry. And you told me, I think last time we talked on the phone, this is a 15 year really since you started talking about this yeah. issue. Yeah, I mean, we've 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 been I discussing mean, this. 15 years is probably the right ballpark. I, I'll even say these numbers, you what you have to keep in mind is these numbers were established over 30 years ago. Now think about which numbers like 50, 50%. Yeah. The 50, the the 50% blend blend formula. Right. So think about 30 plus years ago, what the consumer expectation looked like. Think about what the cars looked like. Think about Mm -hmm. what the colors looked like. Think about the paint. It was lacquer paint. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've gone Mm -hmm. through all these like refinished system updates since then you have these incredibly rich, complex colors today. Dry coats, multi-layered. Yep. Absolutely. So, so you've had all this evolution in the car park, in the paint, in the technology, in customer expectation. Because guess mm-hmm. what? A customer who has a you know uh, ninety thousand dollar vehicle's expectation is very different than the customer with a ten thousand dollar vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and and we need to be yes. able to accommodate that expectation. Uh, and and I'm you know I think all aspects of the industry go through that, right? Like, yeah. what was acceptable thirty years ago in a lot of different aspects not acceptable today right the right. the level of professional uh, expectation on our collective mm-hmm. businesses is yeah. much higher yeah and i think par- partially i think a lot of it's awareness too because people yeah. people can communicate a lot easier and see like you know it was very easy as in in any business service-based or not to just tell the customer hey this is what it is because there was they couldn't go check and see other options before the sure. internet for example right i mean uh, and I want to come back to that, but I, I don't want to skip completely over the history, a little bit of the history of SCRS. I, I took a several other questions and notes I want to ask you, but um, but SCRS has been around since 1982. So is that right? If I read yep, on the website, correct. so before the internet, before any sharing, uh, easily sharing of information, where you know someone can go check out online reviews, see before and after pictures, all that type of stuff. So again, a lot easier for a business to be like, this is the repair you're going to get and give it to them. And they're like, okay, so that's one example. But just real quick, talk about just how SCRS started um, and why and why that was an important point in the collision repair history. Yeah. So, so I mean, all great points. And, and, go back 40 years right so not just before the internet before email right before Before people carried cell phones right before Before, i was alive (laughs) first of all so so, you know you you start looking at this stuff and going you know the level of communication yeah right the level of communication that was possible was very different and so yeah. You know, associations became so critical because that was the gathering point where you could pull people together and that where where the association was able to communicate out mm-hmm. and, and champion for these things. You couldn't just go on to a social media platform and express and your have opinion, a group. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it was much more difficult. And so I think I think what's interesting is um, you go back to those early days where it was about helping people understand what was going on around them. Right. Uh, helping people understand uh, what the industry looked like outside of your own four walls and and pulling together those businesses that maybe um, had a common sense, not just in a local market, but in a state, in multiple states, mm-hmm. in a region, across the country, right? It, 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 it was something that uh, facilitated better exchange of information, facilitated bringing the information that those businesses needed to operate well to them, and facilitated the ability to bring those viewpoints to other areas mm-hmm. that they needed to be expressed and that was really the that was really the formation of the of the association and i think what's neat about it is there's a lot of evolution that's occurred between then and mm-hmm. now as far as what we're capable of accomplishing and how we communicate it and the tools that we have to utilize to do all that right but the did- fundamental aspects of what the association did then and does now remain the same right. we are still right. a very grassroots organization that, that operates under those principles of, mm-hmm. of how do we help facilitate information exchange and facilitate yeah. the communication. Of and, and it looks like your your slogan, I guess, of some sort is repair driven, right? You yeah. want to make sure that the that it's all based off repairs, the actual repairs, the 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 frontline people. <laughs> it's not That's just right. trying to find profits for companies or marketing or it's like about the actual repairs. 
it, it is about the actual repairs. I also think it's important. Uh, one of the things that's always distinguished SCRS is our focus on collision repair specifically, right? So there mm -hmm. are, as you know, as we talked about earlier, there's a lot of different aspects of okay. auto yeah. repair. There's mechanical yeah. and there's glass and there's all, all these different things. Mm -hmm. Reconditioning, but, like reconditioning, most people exactly, listening yep. to us, yep. Um, but I think that for us, making sure that collision repairers had a dedicated voice was mm -hmm. really important because the the difference between what a mechanical repair facility and a collision repair facility may need mm -hmm. or advocate for looked different. It still looks different, uh, even though we're doing a lot of similar things. And so mm -hmm. SCRS was founded on, um, you know, how do we advocate for those collision repair businesses effectively um, <clears throat> with them as our focal point? And I think that's really where that repair driven tagline came from is, is sure. that it is all driven by those businesses that we're yeah. going to represent. Just out of curiosity, I I mean, this I'm thinking back before, like again, before I was born, before email, before yep. pagers, before what was, was there a, I know there were those before computers. So I remember my dad getting a computer, a really old, I'm mean, not before computers, but before everybody had a computer at least. Sure. Yep. Was, was there a, a soft, was there a system to write? Was there a CCC ver like a paper version or something? Yeah, this sure. sounds like a, yeah. such a millennial. So you would question. have repair businesses handwriting repair plans, handwriting estimates, really using. But there was the, no guide though. There was, was there, there were books. Guide? There were guides. Okay, there were okay. like there, a, there were yeah like an old mechanic like a mechanical guide. There was like one yeah. for CCC. Like this is repair time. I think okay. I actually have <laughs> some of the old ones uh, sitting on my bookshelf. I know all the guys that listen that are in their sixties and stuff and been around body shop <laughs> forever are like this kid. This kid doesn't know anything. But, hey. <laughs> I admit it. All right. I've not been around as long. Um, anyway, so that, okay. So that's interesting. Um, the more I think about it, and this may be a controversial thing a little bit for our industry, but um, as I've interviewed enough people and talked to people throughout the collision world and everything, I, I've, I've really come to think that just like the body shops themselves are really like the top of the, the top of the food chain, I guess I could say. Because if you really think about it, whether you go from mechanical to paintless dent repair to glass repair to interior repair, wheel repair, um, it, it, everything, literally everything is a sub for a body shop to some extent. I mean, if you get a car that's smashed up, it goes to a body shop, they're going to sub out maybe a paintless dent repair on one panel. If we're going to bring in mechanical, they're going to they're gonna bring in someone to replace seats or steering wheels. They're going to bring... Like, and so it's interesting to, and I think that's never felt the case in the paintless dairy repair. We've, we've, we've kind of sectioned ourselves off as our own industry and we really kind of are, but we're really almost under the umbrella of the full collision industry. And I think, um, I think that's important that we, that we, I guess, recognize that and, and try to start becoming part, more part of a body shop, more part of SCRS and, and, and those types of things. Have, what's your take? Cause you're not in the paintless air repair world. What's your take on our industry and where we fit into the. Yeah. Collision? I mean, I think it's a really interesting observation and, and I think that the collision repair uh, business, uh, you know, I don't know if top of the food chain is the right example. Well, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to demean PDR, but, but. But there's a lot of connectivity there, right? We work yeah. with a lot of different businesses that perform a lot of different tasks and we're responsible for a lot of different aspects. And I think mm -hmm. one of the neat things or interesting things about collision repair is we're often one of the first automotive sectors to receive new model vehicles because they can drive off a lot and get into a wreck, you know, sure, uh, day sure. one, right? So we tend to see a lot of things that even service doesn't see and because because there's a there's a cycle there before it gets sure. there. Yeah. Um so I think I think it's an interesting observation and I've seen an increase in connectivity between collision repair and other sector uh, sectors or or mm -hmm. you know uh, other businesses whatever, yeah. Sure. yeah that that provide yeah. those types of services. I think I think you're you're right and I think one of the things that maybe we have very much in common is you've got this very large industry um, with with a subset of both that are really chasing how do we do the right thing by the consumer because ultimately mm -hmm. we share the same customer right, right. yes that right. vehicle owner is who we're serving and we're we're and you've got subsets of the industry who are trying to do a really good high level professional job of doing mm -hmm. that well and then you've got other admittedly probably larger subsets of the industry 
who it's it's organizations like ours job to help bring the information to to bring them up with it right mm-hmm. um and so i think i think that um you know we've seen a lot more connectivity with with uh you know debt repair and 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 glue pole and all those types of different mm-hmm. uh you know systems and services yeah through our relationships at, at SEMA, right? We, we actually have a lot of PDR folks who come and take part of our education classes mm-hmm. and, and from that have been introduced to the work that SERS does and go, oh, you know, this applies to my business as well. I, I, I feel a sense of connection to it as a result. And I'm a small business owner who benefits from a lot of the same type of information. Yeah. But I think, I think that when we look at that kind of global um, independent <clears throat> uh, auto repair space, um, I think as you start to expose different businesses to those types of uh, to the types of things that we do, uh, or the or the issues that we have, or the challenges we have, mm-hmm. or the, or the focus on the consumer, I think you start to feel a lot of connection, right? And yeah. and and it draws in those businesses who have all said, "I'm going to prioritize doing it right mm-hmm. and serving the customer well, yeah. and making sure that I'm a rep, a, a, the top level representative example of my industry." Right? I think that is where the man i don't want to i don't know a better word to say it, but the ego i guess if there's an ego of paintless dent repair not 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 to say that as demeaning because i think ego is is a necessary thing but if there's an ego of paintless dent repair i think that um part of it is that we are fully convinced and understand that our process is the best repair for the customer and so whenever we can get our hands on those things and save them from the body shop even though we're kind of a part of that whole industry. But if we can take it away from that body shop, we feel like we're serving the customer's vehicle better. Is that, I don't know how much you know about painless dent repair, but I'm just curious your opinion on if painless, if we're talking about purely serving the customer better, if painless dent repair is the, it should be that first option. So I'll I'll maybe like push back on some areas of that and, yeah, and just, just for perspective, right? I, I think that when we can do the least invasive repairs possible, it's a good thing, right? Yeah. If we yeah. don't have to disrupt corrosion protection, if we can figure out ways mm-hmm. to not, um, you know, to not disrupt the the, Put Bondo the on it panels, or, yeah. right? All those things, mm-hmm. really positive, yeah. absolutely. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in our own space, right? Where people are starting to go, how do I use either PDR or glue pole to yeah, do Kiko. We'll talk about Kiko in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. But like, you know, how do I, how do I pull the paint versus, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really minimize damage before I send it off? Obviously there are things that need to be done. You know, you need traditional repair processes. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but if we can do the least invasive repair possible and find a, a, a smart way to do it, then great. I think where, um, but when we're drilling holes in places mm-hmm. where holes don't belong, right, yeah. that's not necessarily the least invasive repair either, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I think that it comes back to that business mm-hmm. that says, I want to be focused on giving the consumer the best, the right repair process mm-hmm. uh, possible. I'm going to follow those OEM procedures, whether I'm a collision repair professional, whether I'm a PDR technician, whether mm-hmm. I'm, you know, what whatever segment I'm serving, I'm going to go through and I'm going to take the time to research. I'm going to take the time to do my due diligence. I'm going to make sure that the repair I'm providing is proper. It's approved. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's recognized as, as, uh, as appropriate by, by the automaker and that it's not modifying the vehicle in some way that it, that it wasn't prior. Right. And mm-hmm. so um, I think you have a lot of folks in your field who focus on that and say, I, I, I this is the type of repair I want to provide as do we. Right. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately we both also have other <clears throat> folks who go, well, it's just easier to drill this hole or it's just easier yeah. to not look up this procedure yeah. on our end, right? Like, and and mm-hmm. and ultimately easy doesn't necessarily result in the best quality repair, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, uh, look in any industry vertical and you're going to find, you know, both of those, those ends of the spectrum. But I think what becomes important is, is that you have this population that's listening to shows like yours and who's yeah. joining organizations like ours that they're doing it because they want to be better. Yeah. They want to deliver high-end, you know, products that mm-hmm. they can be proud of. Um, and I think that's where, where, where you see a lot of alignment. Yeah. And, and that's a good point. Drilling holes. <clears throat> I'll talk a lot about that on the podcast anymore. Cause pretty much people listening to this podcast understand that you don't have to drill holes. Um, drilling holes. The, the reason you drill holes for the most part 
nowadays is just for speed. Um, you just, it's a faster way to do it. So there's almost, there's man, 99.9% of the time, I would say probably pretty much a hundred percent of the time, you don't actually have to drill a hole to fix a deck. Um, that just became about because of, I guess the wholesale world and the per car pricing and all that type sure. of stuff just to be quicker. Um, yeah. basically. So, but as far as, um, you know, best repair for, for the vehicle and for the customer, if you can get in and out of a vehicle without obviously modifying it in any way, you know, that includes holes, Bondo paint, anything and keep everything factory paint is there repair is the way to go. Um, for sure. In my opinion, um, <laughs> you're smiling. <laughs> I'm going to hammer it a little bit because if, if there's a dent, that's a one to two inch dent. And we can get there without drilling a vehicle, drilling a hole. Maybe yep. we pull a belt molding off and we slide a tool down between the window. We guard the window so we don't scratch it. We slowly push the dent up from the inside out. Maybe we even take the door panel off and spray some eco back there if we're being like fully official. In my opinion, it's always going to be a better repair than Bondo and repainting that door. And I get there's there's going to be changes like when the dent gets bigger. Obviously, there's always a um, you there's always a point where it has to go to collision. But would you agree with that point? If a small dent yeah. and we. So that's damage repair, right? So I I, I smile because um, yeah. I, I think really what you're describing is very similar to a process that would occur in a collision repair facility as well, right? So I don't look at that necessarily as just PDR. I look at that as that's repair, right? And so sure. if you can produce a less invasive repair yeah. that minimizes the amount of material you have to apply to that vehicle, mm -hmm. collision shops are doing that all day long as well. And so I think we share the same objective of- What do you what mean they're the doing that? Repair? I'm sorry. What do you mean the collision shops are doing that? They're subbing oh, out. I, I think, I think that that is becoming more and more of a repair approach within a collision repair center today, right? Uh, so, using a PDR so, tech? Sure. Uh, yeah. Or using, using uh, you know, those types of, of uh, repair approaches rather than just filling it and paving mm. over it yeah, and, yeah. And, and painting it, right? Sure, so, yeah. um, so I think that's where, you know, glue pole repair and things along mm. those lines play a pretty important role mm -hmm. in in the collision space. But I also think, so, so uh, holes is maybe, you know, a dated example. Yeah. But I mean, people just still do it often, but people still do it often. You're not talking that you're not, those people aren't listening probably. Right. <laughs> in the same way that there's on our there's, end, right. Our members are probably not yes. representative of a lot of the people who aren't members of the association. Correct. A hundred percent. But there are still other things. So you talked about removing the trim panel to gain access, sure. right? Yeah. So what, what sensors need to be addressed mm -hmm. as a result yeah. of pulling those trim panels, right? Correct. What, mm -hmm. what, uh, if you're taking a mirror off, right? Like mm -hmm. what cameras, uh, or, or, uh, notification systems need to be recalibrated, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of those steps now that blend our worlds together. Yes. Uh, because those, you know, you introduce ADAS into, into yes. some of the most highly removed or, or, uh, common areas of the vehicle, right? Mirrors, headlamps, tail lamps, bumpers, bumpers, glass, yeah. right? All of a sudden, all of our worlds change because we have this obligation to not just perform that repair task that we're used to report or yeah. performing, but making sure that now all the systems are functional the way they were prior to that repair task taking place as well. Yeah. Because I feel a, a duty to push uh, for all my PDR ticks out there, assuming all ADOS is complete, all removal and R&I procedures are followed according to manufacturer specifications and all that stuff is a painless dent repair technician pushing out a dent to perfect because there's a lot of guys out there that can hide a dent from anybody out there, uh, in my opinion, make it completely perfect. Is that repair better than putting repainting a vehicle? Oh, I, again, I'm going to go back to the least invasive repair is always yeah, the okay. best repair. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Good deal. So how has Kiko changed? And I know Kiko really, painless dent repair technicians see it, collision guys see it. I'm actually a contract trainer for Kiko. So I go to body shops and train. There's a segment of painless dent repair technicians out there that think I'm foolish for doing that, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't believe so. Um, I think it's a matter of time. I think that um, Kiko body techs using Kiko glue, or there, I think there's other versions. Kiko is just the largest and most impactful one, in my opinion. There, there's a ton of different brands. Yeah, There's a ton there, and there have been Cam Auto and other ones out there, but Kiko is the one that's really changed the, bridge the gap, I think, from painless air repair to, anyways. Um, I can train a body guy how to do a 70 to 80% repair with glue um, in a day, pretty much. Um, 
they should be using that. That's a skill that they should use. And I, and, and the way that it, that paintless day repair technicians can set themselves apart from body shops is we can get that last 20%. We can push it back out to perfectly flat without having to put any Bondo filler painting, et cetera. So, so how, in your opinion, how has Kiko changed the way that collision repairers actually look at fixing or repairing cars? Look, I, so I think there's a couple ways. One is we want to have every tool in our toolbox that's available to us to do a good job for the customer. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think having more tools that we're now familiar with and how to use and processes that, you know, extend beyond what a traditional approach would look like opens up the possibilities of how we do a repair effectively. Right. I think that uh, Chris White with Kiko has done um, a really amazing job of embracing blending industries that he serves, right? And saying, I see commonality here. I see different businesses that are all trying to accomplish the same thing, which is a quality repair. Mm-hmm. And how do I... The help- least invasive quality repair too, yeah, honestly. Yeah. The least invasive quality yeah. repair, right? <clears throat> how do I help um, advocate for for that right and and i think he's done a really good job of uh, embracing the collision repair industry and 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 i, I mean they're a part of the collision repair industry right like right. and i think yeah. that's um i i think that vision it's the getting it and the and the being a part of it and saying i want to support these businesses and support these entities and support schools that are producing technicians uh, you know uh and help help educate earlier on these possibilities that mm-hmm. can exist so that we can do a better job of fixing vehicles and serving the consumer well. And I, I just, I think that's really where they shine. Obviously it's the quality of them, you know, what, what they're providing as well, sure. but I yeah. think it's the vision more than anything. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you. So we went down a few, we went back and went down a few roads through some history. <clears throat> I want to go back to the beginning. You said a sentence that I wrote down here um, with the blend all the blending stuff that you guys worked out with yep. um you said it's not reflective of tasks performed um which i think if there's any complaint i guess complaint in the painless day repair industry when we're working with pricing things to insurance companies granted i, I know that body shops deal with the same issues but we do too especially in the hail world Um, And so not reflective of tasks performed is something that if we could define for painless air repair technicians technicians is probably the most frustrating thing. So now when we're doing stuff like full glue pole repairs, so on a rail on a vehicle, inaccessible, back in the day, you drill 20 holes, (laughs) potentially. I've heard stories. I've never done it. But hail guys will drill. Anyways, now we glue pole, right? We don't, we don't. We don't need to drill holes anymore. We can glue pull even really bad dents along the entirety of the rail without pulling paint off, keeping it all factory, et cetera. So sometimes when we when we have our own pricing guides and we try to charge extra for doing that, we get a lot of pushback from insurance companies. Oh, why you, we don't we don't add glue pulling markups? Well, it's like well, it takes us twice as long. Why can't we get paid more for doing it? Right? Versus you take twenty dents on a rail. You have to glue bowl versus 20 dents on a hood that you can push with metal rods on the backside, whole different, whole different ballgame. So that, and then also with the introduction of aluminum panels, aluminum panels are harder to fix. There's less of a memory. So we have to use more force. We have to push further than needs to be. So it relaxes back, et cetera. Um, has there ever been anything in SCRS for for paintless day repair or maybe we need to get more involved to try to make that stuff happen about about trying to change things that are uh try to get try to potentially get more money for things that are not reflective of task performed i guess yeah so uh, i think i would answer that this way that comes down to business education right it it Mm -hmm. it comes back to um making sure that people are aware of it's that inform, educate, and advocate, right? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's. Uh, I think we do a lot of education programs at the SEMA show, um, which is our primary big event of the year. We we meet quarterly with the Collision Industry Conference, but at, at SEMA, SCRS develops a, a very robust um, education platform called Repair Driven Education. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times in that, we talk about different business methodologies. We talk about how to counter 
um, objections. You talk about rate, um, not how to set, you know, not 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 what rates to set, but but the the the, the thought process that goes into creating uh, well articulated billing practices and rate practices and things along those lines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think those are all applicable to all the different verticals that 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 bill for their services. At the end of the day, we're all in businesses that are there for one purpose. It's to sell a service for a profit, right? Like, and sure. and yeah. and understanding how to go about that, how to use numbers to to justify what it is that you're doing, and how to overcome objections. Because look, mm. our our job, your job, our job, right? Both verticals sell a service for a profit. Insurers' job is to mitigate expenses to the best of their ability. Those are yeah. diametrically yeah. opposed to one another, and it doesn't yes. need to be negatively. <laughs> but 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 they everyone's trying to trying to make objectives. their profit. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. So. Um, I think if there's one thing that we know, it's that the 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 more you can document, the more that you can um, create external support for why you're doing whatever you're doing, um, the 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 less objection that you have, right? And so mm -hmm. if we can help educate on how to accomplish those types of things, I think that's applicable to both ends of the industry. And it is part of what draws in. We, as I mentioned earlier, we've had yeah. a lot of PDR business owners and yeah. technicians come through our, our training courses. Some of them are directly relevant and some of them may be, you know, it's better understanding, you know, the business that the you're industry. working with mm -hmm. or, or, mm -hmm. or whatever else. Um, I don't know that we've had a specific initiative that I can point to that that's, that's addressed, you know, PDR billing practices. But mm -hmm. I think those on a general level would certainly help and be useful yeah. to, to. Or as far as justifying, you know, like you said, they they were giving you fifty percent blend times, but in reality, it was actually one hundred and twenty three percent or twenty three percent harder than it is to just paint a whole panel. Or I think it was twenty three, um, and so yeah, yeah. thirty two, yeah. thirty two, <laughs> mixed them up there, thirty two percent harder. So pretty big difference. And so um, I'm just curious, but um, that's probably something that more PDR techs would uh, you know potentially get involved in SCRS. So talk a little bit more about SEMA education. Do you need to be a member for one to to nope. Okay, so you can go to SEMA and do the education. Um, you kind of talked about what it is. It span the whole the whole. It's like a four day event, I believe, right? Typically, yeah, it does. So it actually spans the full week. It normally starts on Monday before okay. the show opens and runs through the course of the show. Um, we'll, on average, Lots typically have seventy to eighty speakers as a part of our program. It's it's pretty monumental. And then yeah. Thursday, we've got our OEM Collision Repair Technology Summit that really focuses on, but while most of the classroom sessions in the earlier part of the week focus on kind of things that you could go home and implement in your business tomorrow, mm -hmm. um, Thursday is more focused on emerging technology and trends and things that are developing the vehicle that are going to drive where your business goes. Um, so I think awesome. we, we, we really look at how do we pull in information that's going to be relevant and useful to a diverse population. I, I, I do think it's one of the, the neat things about SEMA. Obviously, you have a lot of different sections there at the show, yeah, from collision to wheels and tires to conditioning and restyling, right? All those things. Yeah. And I think that what we see is the, the education we provide gives good business purpose for a collision repairer to come in and go, okay, I, I'm going to be able to take this back to my my business. I'm going to be able to help either revitalize or energize my staff by by exposing them to all this new information. But I'm also going to be able to explore other things that I can do in 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 concert with what I'm already doing in traditional collision repair. Right? Mm -hmm. Ceramic coatings is something that maybe I want to introduce, whether it's through a partnership with another business mm -hmm. or by figuring out how to add that as a as an offering in my detail department. Right? Or I want to figure out how to relate to restyling companies or, or reconditioning companies who may offer other services that, you know, either rely on similar skill sets that I already have in my business or rely on a similar audience. And we can work in tandem with one another mm -hmm. to provide that solution to the, to the customer. But you're but saying you understanding have, it is the first step before you add it or maybe you know, how you add it for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So kind of figuring out, okay. Um, <laughs> how do I expand my business in ways that that can help keep that customer coming to me more frequently than the once every seven to 10 year accident sure. that they may have. Committed? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Makes um, sense. I think there's a lot of different ways that by working with one another, relying on the different industry segments that we mm -hmm. can do a good job of, of, of coming back to delivering good value to the, to the. Very cool. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
Um, so that's huge. See my education um, all week long. <laughs> Apparently that's all awesome. week long. And, and then we also, I mean, for anybody who's out there who goes, well, I want to, I want to see what this is yeah. like. Yeah. We also offer it after the fact in previous years, we've offered it after the fact virtually as well. So if somebody were, cool. um, were to go and I can give you the link that you can put, uh, yeah. in, in the podcast, but please um, rde.scrs.com is going to take them to our last year's online education offering that they can, you know, you know, start to take advantage of now yeah. and they go, Very oh cool. man, this is, this is awesome. I want to be in the room where I can ask questions. I want to be in the room where I can relate mm -hmm. with this. Then and you have, to be who's, in, who's in the room? I mean, I, I, I think I know some of the answers, but who, as far as generally, like what type of like insurance companies, uh, who's, who's there? Yeah. So our education is really focused on the independent business owner for mm -hmm. the large part. So you have a lot of owners and managers, uh, mm -hmm. operators of collision centers from around the country. Sure. You definitely have suppliers and paint companies. Mm -hmm. You may have some some insurers, not a not a okay. high degree, but but we do have some that participate in that. You see more of them uh, in our OEM collision repair technology summit because they're trying to understand right. where the technology in the future sure. of these vehicles is going just as much. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you, yeah, you see a pretty diverse audience, but largely it's all catered towards that owner operator manager right. of independent repair businesses. Gotcha. Um, to come back to a, a question I was thinking about earlier, what, uh, what else is, I don't know if you're able to talk about it, but what else is SCRS working on? You said, obviously they're working on more than just the blending time stuff. Sure. What, what yeah. other big items are there? So, uh, you know, lots of issue driven stuff. But, uh -huh. but the other thing we're working on is is resources for small businesses. Right. Um, I think it's incredibly difficult right now uh, <laughs> for people in the trades to find the technical talent that they're looking for to to come in. And I, I'm going to assume that's as similar in your population uh, yeah. th as it is in ours. Um, and and I think there's there part of the challenge, Corey, is is not just competing with larger collision repair businesses. Mm -hmm. You're competing with other trades and industries yeah. that may, in some cases, be more evolved or offer more sophisticated uh, offerings. You know, mm -hmm. retirement, healthcare, and all those types of things. And so we um, we set out on a path just about six years ago now, mm -hmm. where we said we. Our members kept saying, "Look, we need. We know we need to offer healthcare to our employees, but it's." super expensive yeah. and it, you know and it's co the coverage is terrible they can't even really use it and and it's not competitive with other businesses or industries how can we find a way to both improve what we offer while reducing what we spend on it right mm -hmm. and, and is that possible yeah so right. we set out on this path to go can we use the size and scope and leverage of the association to find solutions that are going to do a better job of that mm -hmm. um and in September, we, after years of work and kind of vetting different solutions, we launched an industry-first uh, healthcare program that is available in all 50 states, that is available to any size of business, whether you're a you know, single operator mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. or have dozens of locations, it's, it's just as applicable. And what we're finding is, is that on average, we've been able to save our businesses uh, of 10%. Um, what we found and 10% can be huge depending on the size of your business, right? 10% sure. of the cost of your health uh, care. Um, the, the quality of coverage is significantly better. Um, 85% of what most people go to the doctor for is a no cost service under yeah, our plan. Sure. So yeah. if you're labs, imaging, x-rays, mm -hmm. generic prescription, seeing mental health professionals, seeing your doctor, mm -hmm. urgent care, those are all no cost services. Mm -hmm. I, I can tell you, my wife works in a hospital system and in works in the healthcare industry. And what we offer is better than what she gets through that industry. And so now, now you're in this position where you can yeah. help small collision repair businesses offer better coverage than other industries that may pull from a similar talent pool. Sure. What we've That's also huge. found is, is it advantages those business owners in keeping the technicians that they have. We've yeah. seen on average a 25% increase in the employees who actually accept the business's healthcare plan versus their spouses. So what that means mm. is they're more likely to stay yeah. rather than go, okay, I'm going to go to somebody else's business for, you know, a, a, you know, a, a small raise yeah. because I know I can rely on my spouse's healthcare or my spouse's benefits. What we're seeing is a much bigger uptick in the employees who are saying, wait, this is better coverage. I'm going to choose this, which means yeah. they're going to stay. They're more likely to stay within your business. Yeah, that's so huge. 
that healthcare program as well as a <clears throat> retirement services program with 401k, uh, both which are designed to just give more to the people in the industry, mm -hmm. um, making it more attractive and hopefully pulling more people in. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna look at. I saw, I've heard about that a few months ago. I saw it on the website when I was doing research over the last week. Definitely gonna look into that myself. Does it have dental and vision too? Out of curiosity. It yeah, it so does. It's got okay, so that's vision. huge because full suite. Try to find. I mean, try to find dental insurance in the open market is. I don't know if you've been down that road. It's literally the most absurd the most absurd thing that exists in the world. It's like a thousand dollars a month and you can't even use it for a year or something like for orthodontics. Like you can't sign up and then get your kids braces and then get out. Like it's like a minimum a year, thousand bucks. It's ridiculous. So I'm yeah. going to check. I'm definitely going to check it in. I, I saw on the website, got to go in, make a login and you can get a quote or whatever kind of kind yeah. of thing. But um, yeah, that, that's what's, huge. what's cool about this is, you know, mm. We can make differences for businesses, but when you can start making big differences for individuals, like yeah. this is meaningful work for us, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. when I get shop owners who reach out and go, yeah, I saved money, but the most important part for me was that I was able to improve the quality of life yeah. for my, my employees. My employee's like, that's, daughter that's got braces and he didn't have to work 20 hours over to 50 hours over time a week or something. When we first launched this, one of our board members switched over and he, he called me and he was all like, you know, I had a, I, one of my technicians, I had him almost in tears because him and his wife were having a, a, a child, right. Mm -hmm. and, and and they're, they're expecting. Super and we expensive. compared what their, what our previous plan was to the current plan. And yeah. they're going to save over $6,000 of out-of-pocket expenses. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, life-changing when you're waiting for Big. a kid to arrive and all that stuff right Big so money, dude yeah 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 that's huge right there and that that's gonna be that's gonna all the guys listening i'm sure are gonna go just sers.com i believe it is yeah, yeah sers.com so you can get to the, click the drop down you can see it in there it's yeah, you can drop it down, but yeah. scrs.com forward slash healthcare will get you okay. straight there. Okay. Scrs.com forward slash 401k will get sure. you to the retirement mm -hmm. services, right? There's a lot of stuff that we you know, can we can we make issues better? Can we make mm -hmm. you know the resources better? Can we make the quality of life better within the industry? Like yeah. th those are all part of what we're trying to accomplish. And and I think something a lot of painless dental repair technicians would agree with. I think to be able to have a healthcare or 401k situation without having to be a part of a massive company is yeah. a huge benefit because I think the way that most of the world has gone is that you, <clears throat> if you want benefits, you have to work for, you know, call it a fortune 1000 fortune 500 yeah. company. Um, but I think in the painless dental repair space and in the collision space, having those small independent Shops, whether small being two people or a hundred people, still yep. very small in the scope of the yep. US, um, is very important, I think, to a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people, I don't, I think most people in Panda's Air Repair Space don't want to be involved in a massive company. And in the collision re repair space, there are, you know, a couple very, very large companies. We don't have to mention them, but I think there's a lot of people that don't want to work for those people and they want to work for Joe's Body Shop that has two locations and family run. But it's really hard when you have to go to Affordable Care Act to get insurance. Yeah. And it's literally thousands of dollars. The out-of-pocket max is of 8000 I mean, it's a real thing. And that's what we wanted to change, yeah, yeah. right? Like that's we huge. are, I'm going to go yeah. back to that beginning history, Corey, yeah. right? Like we are a grassroots organization yeah. that represents a largely grassroots industry, yeah, right? Yeah, small shops, this, yeah. This group, um, you know, our businesses are technicians <clears throat> that became business owners, <clears throat> sometimes by choice and sometimes by 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 circumstance, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Technicians <laughs> that turn business owner that owned a family business or own a family business that want to keep that business in the family. Like, I think people gravitate towards that family aspect, that yes. community aspect, the fact that we're serving our communities at a very local level. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that we're any less sophisticated of a business, right. but it does mean that, like, I, I agree with you. I think many people want to be more than just a number in a corporation. They yes. want to work where they communicate directly with the Family business owner, yeah. but have mm -hmm. all those same opportunities. Yeah. And if we can give those opportunities, and they've been taken away, dude, they just have over the last 10 years. I mean, yeah. And if you can work for a business where you're one of 10 employees mm -hmm. and you have world-class healthcare, yeah, that's... why wouldn't I gravitate towards that? If I can, if I can, you know, work for a small business and be part of a, a you know, a retirement fund that's got over 
20, $30 million in it rather mm -hmm. than $150,000. Yeah. I now have access to fees that I would the, never- The, man, the management's a little better, let me tell you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, you, yeah. All that's good. You're going to do more with your money over time, right? right? You're yeah. going to set yourself up better for retirement. And I think the goal here is how do we advance the ball for all these businesses? How do we make them stronger? How do we pull everybody under one tent? Especially everybody who's looking to make this industry better for the people that we serve. Yeah, 100%. That's huge. And I think there's a big segment of just people in America that want to see, just to go high level here, that want to see America more like that, more yeah. localized small business owners, all that. It's not just three body shop companies that own all body shops in the world or three companies that own all food distribution or whatever. I think we need that small localized because i think yeah. if you're repair driven if you were to compare the small localized versus the you know multiple hundred million dollar companies there's a difference in the quality of customer interaction i guess i can say um, yeah I, I think i think maybe it's true. unfair to assume that but i i think the reality is is that in all things in life they're they're you know as you get um I think size, you have business models that are built on size and scale and you have and business you have models that are models that are built on customer sure. service and quality, right? And you're going to, you're mm -hmm. going to see um, varieties of all of those. But I think if we can find ways to give mm -hmm. small independent yeah. businesses the ability to compete and win, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're going to mm -hmm. do very well. And that's, that's, that's where our, you know, that's where our history started and it's where we continue to to really find ways to love it to push push it forward love it a couple more questions um i saw a tab on your website about legislation sure i didn't really re uh, figure out much about that is there stuff that SERS is doing with i guess legislation being laws of states in in the country or what's what's, what's yeah on? so i think there's a variety of different areas that we play an important role so i mentioned that we have uh, roughly about 40 state associations under our umbrella. I think what's right. important to note is that insurance is governed at a state level. Mm -hmm. And so those state affiliate associations play a really important role. Um, you, There is legislation that is out there today in all sorts of different states across the United States um, that is being advocated for that affects the collision repair industry and affects insurance law and things along those lines. And our state associations are uh, really responsible for driving and 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 advocating for that at a state level. SCRS, where SCRS plays a role is helping to pull them all together so mm -hmm. that they're operating from similar knowledge bases and sure. playbooks. They understand, you know, a, 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 an association in Virginia understands what's happening in Texas. Mm -hmm. What's happening in Texas is familiar with what's going on in Washington State, right? Mm -hmm. Like. And so you see all the commonality between the different efforts and, and they're able to communicate with one another, maybe understand what objections exist from opponents before they even get there, all those types of things. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we play a big role with that, both in the affiliate engagement, as well as through our news source. If anybody out there reads repairdrivennews.com, mm -hmm. uh, we publish that news source. It's part of our, our commitment to making sure that we're connecting the dots for the folks in the industry. So I think I think those are really important types of conversations to be having um, at at a national level. When there are uh, federal level initiatives that are important to get involved in, SCRS will certainly get involved. Right? Do you have an so, example of those? I'm trying to. I, I can't. Think yeah. Of any, so like... um, so under <clears throat> our last administration, there was an attempt to sunset consent decrees, and obviously our industry. There, there's a consent decree that was established in 1963 in the collision repair space that's been fundamentally really important to a lot of collision repairers uh, that addresses insurance behavior. And that was on the docket to be sunset. And so we uh, we underwent an initiative uh, to basically prove the value. We had, mm -hmm. you know, dozens of um, members of Congress write letters in favor of it uh, after spending a, a great deal of time bringing collision repairs to the state or to the federal capital to talk a little bit about why this mattered. And ultimately resulted in the Department of Justice saying, hey, we're going to take this one off the docket to be sunset. We're going to maintain it. Uh, those types of things. Um, other conversations. Big deal. <laughs> yeah, it but is. Yeah. Affecting so, so, federal legislation is not a small task, I would imagine. Yeah. And in that case, so sometimes it's legislation, sometimes it's regulation, right? Sometimes sure, it's sure, having yeah. having all those entities understand the importance of of why what's on the books matter. At the at the 
very bottom level. Yeah, at, at, level, at, yeah. at the very yeah. bottom, at, yeah. at where it matters to their at, at where they're at right? where you feel like you have no voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think others is helping to draw attention to issues. So there's a lot of talk around uh, right to repair, uh, mm -hmm. you know, initiatives. I think the reality is from our vantage point in the collision repair space, um, independent repairers absolutely have the ability to repair cars today, right? And mm -hmm. and I think that many of the folks who are driving the, the I'm using air quotes here for those listening, right? The right to repair initiatives aren't really after the right for an independent business to repair. They're after the right for big businesses to access data and they're mm -hmm. using repair facilities as a mechanism to uh, to, to champion because because that will tug at the heartstrings of the people making decisions. Sure. And so I think it's important to have voices that that kind of demonstrate that we have the ability to repair vehicles correctly and effectively today. Our bigger our biggest challenge isn't access to data in the collision repair industry. It's the pushback we receive from bill payers against the necessary steps that we need to bill for to perform those repairs. Amen to that, dude. I think everyone can agree on that for sure. Yeah. So so I think, you know, there's a look, politics is messy, right? And mm -hmm. and um, people who have uh, a prerogative are going to use whatever whatever platform they can to advance the ball forward as it, as it benefits them. And it's important that organizations like ours keep an eye on those issues and that we continue to be a representative voice of those small businesses we represent because those shops aren't aren't going to have that same microphone or the same halls to to echo through and things along right. those lines. Yeah. So when we can, we will. That's that's great. So one more question, and then we'll talk about how to join sure. SCRS. Um, this is I'm going to combine these two, but what does the future of collision repair look like? And then I'm going to throw in EV with that because it's that whether we like it or not, or you agree with it or not, we're being pushed down that road. Um, so. Combine those two together, future of collision repair, and then how is EV affecting collision repair and SERS and all that stuff? Yeah. I think if I'm a if I'm a repair business who who is willing to make the necessary investments to fix vehicles properly, that's willing to make the cultural commitment that I want to do it right, and I'm gonna take the steps that are necessary to do that, I think that the future of collision repair is super bright. Yeah. I, I, I I really do. I think there's a ton of opportunity. And I think that there is um, there is a lot of space for people who are willing to make that commitment and make the investment mm -hmm. and create a business model that sustains it. Yeah. If I am somebody who wants to hold on to my past of being a general practitioner and being able to work on everything without continued training, without continual investment, I think it's going to be a challenging road ahead. Yeah. And and I think that's just the reality. EV aside, I think that's true. Oh, I, I think, think it's always been true. And, yeah, yeah, I think EV and ADAS. I mean, unibody, uh, unibody. Talk about the unibody time. Is sure. EV unibody equivalent, like the, to how much it's changing the the way repairs work? I yeah. mean So, but you have, but you have. Um, so I think I think OEM certifications are driving those quality expectations sure. up. In, in a positive way for, yeah. for the consumer and in a positive way for the industry. Mm -hmm. um, but you still have, so while while you have some businesses who are going, how do I adapt for ADAS and calibrations and mm -hmm. safety uh, features and electric vehicles, right? You have other businesses who still haven't figured out how to how to weld properly, right? <laughs> and so, so you have this kind of like, Polar polar ends of the industry. Yeah. And we need to do, I think our job as an association is how do you lift everybody up from where they are today? Right. Okay. How do you take how do you take the folks who who, you know, um haven't gotten there yet and get them closer to that goal? How do you yeah. take the folks who are at the cutting edge and leading the way and help them help them carry it even further? And I think that's edge. really what our what our obligation and responsibility is as an association. But I mean, I think EV is a challenge. I don't think it is an option. I think you're obviously going to see automakers go there. Do I think it's the answer that everybody's looking for? Uh, no, but, but, but nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, it is it 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 it's here, right? And it's only going to continue to evolve, and we're going to have to figure out ways to be responsible. And I yeah. do think what's important is is that we find ways to introduce to the conversation as as you know as people look at infrastructure money to support charging systems 
we also need to make sure that we have a repair community that's capable of fixing these vehicles and right. has invested in the equipment to do so and has invested in the training and talent to be able to do so, right? Like mm -hmm. those are as important as charging stations are as you get a larger population of the of the the drivers yeah. who are driving electric it's, vehicles. It's it's as or more important, but it's not as sexy. <laughs> like obviously like it's not as immediate because charge yeah. like you have to charge, but people don't realize that they don't want to take their Tesla Rivian Lucid and give it to a body shop that has never worked on one because yep. the the odds they get a fully repaired and <clears throat> safe vehicle back is low if if you don't know what you're doing or yep. I mean that's that's just the reality I don't think people really I don't think people give enough credit to how complicated the process is they're you know it's like oh they're just they're just gonna replace the Whatever. It is not fixing a traditional vehicle. And I do think that there are a lot of safety considerations that need to be made. And I think what's great yeah. is you have companies, your Rivian, uh, we haven't even publicly announced it yet, but it's official. Yeah. Like Rivian has joined SERS as a new yeah. member. Most of the automakers are members of SERS. You heard it here first, guys. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, so here you have kind of, you know, one of these EV automakers at the, at the, mm -hmm. at the, you know, leading edge of what's going on in the industry, sure. yeah. who's also prioritizing, I want to be involved in the collision associations. I want to make sure that we're providing the information that we need mm -hmm. to, we want to make sure we're building the frameworks yeah. and taking feedback so we can do a good job of effectively doing that. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think that's where, um, you know, I take a lot of pride in, in what we do as an association when we start to see businesses like that that prioritize the work that we're doing in the same way that a, a business of 10 employees is as yeah. well right yeah. and i think i think when you have this central hub that's pulling everybody together mm -hmm. it's it's really important yeah i think rivion i mean i know rivion because i'm working on one starting tomorrow and i needed to order a part for it so i went down the road of doing that and you you are, have to be a certified shop through rivion there's no other way there's one in all of all of the greater sacramento area which encompasses probably this shop to over 2 million people for sure maybe closer to three there's one shop one shop that's approved to work on rivion so and there's sure. one in san jose which is the silicon valley bay area and there's a lot i mean i see them out here there's there's a lot out here so like it's interesting that those evs the way that they're changing and the way that they're requiring a specific certified shop to do it, not just take yep. it, take it wherever. So, but, a, but a lot of that again comes back to making sure that the shop that you're sending that customer to has the training, equipment, yeah. knowledge, development, all those things. They know to how to do properly. it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fantastic. I, I appreciate it. Very articulate. Um, very. I learned a ton and I know everyone listening has learned a ton. I hope I asked all the questions that everyone's yelling at their phones right now. Um, anyways, how do you join SCRS? And if you want to talk about the cost of doing that and just sure. anything along of, of being a part of the organization. Yeah, it's super easy. SCRS.com, yeah. um, uh, from the homepage, you'll see plenty of uh, options, links yeah, to sure. join, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So there's a banner across the bottom. Um, there's an option at the top. You can join right through the website. In fact, we encourage most people to join through the website because then they can set up their member profile and everything mm -hmm. right there online. Um, it's $475 a year for your first location. If you've got multiple locations, it's $150 for each additional location. Uh, honestly, I think the value that is derived as a result of membership far outweighs the cost. And our goal has always been never let cost be an obstacle to, mm -hmm. to having somebody be a part of this. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, $475 a year to join. If you're going to take advantage of anybody can shop the healthcare, but you do have to be a member to participate in it. Anybody right. can get a quote on the 401k, but you do have to be a member to participate. So you could go and say, Hey, I want to shop this healthcare plan, see if I'm going to save money. And if I do now I'm going to make the decision. I'll join. Yeah, so sure. that I can open it up. Right. Yeah, cool. Like prove your own ROI, prove your own value proposition. But I'll tell you, I think just from the access to information, the visibility into into what's going on in the industry, um, those membership dollars are then used for resources like funding um, our new source. I mentioned repairdrivennews.com, funding pro free programs to the industry like Database Enhancement Gateway, which is a resource that we developed that was designed to uh, provide crowdsourcing to basically challenge um, any errors, omissions, or inaccuracies in the estimating systems, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. submit an inquiry. We have somebody on the other end who's going to work directly with the information provider to correct those vehicle-specific issues and then respond back. We have tremendous results in that. It's a free resource. So it's degweb.org. 
it's a free resource for the industry, but it's funded by member dollars mm -hmm. uh, from us and and um, and one of our counterparts, uh, AASP. Um, and so that's a really important program. Uh, it also funds things like we have a pretty robust library of information on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash SCRS collision. Mm -hmm. um, free videos that explain the repair process, explain different steps, uh, whether you're a collision repair center or a PDR uh, business. I think that there are explanations in there that are going to serve your customers well to help them understand why when you have to remove a mirror or a headlight or a trim panel, why you're going to have to go through an ADAS uh, sure. you know, a calibration or a scan process or things along those lines. Um, so I think there's a lot of different resources out there that that support of the association helps fund to make to make the industry better. Makes sense. Fantastic. Um, I had a lot of questions and you answered every single one of them very well. I very, well, I you. very much appreciate that. If you have anything you'd love to add before we wrap up here, I think it's it's been over an hour actually. That was a quick hour. Do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, here I'll I'll challenge you all. I mean, join, come come be a part of the association, come be a part of the industry. I think but, you'll but have I several think, dozen people sign up. I believe. <laughs> yeah, this. I hope so. But yeah. I think more than anything. I get people ask all the time, okay, I became a member, now what can I do? And I and I think this advice serves for anybody in the collision repair space, space, but also in the PDR space. Help carry the water. So if you like what Corey's sharing, the information he's bringing to the table, find other PDR folks within your community who may, mean, may, may not be at your level and bring them to the podcast. Help expose them to the information so that your you're strengthening your industry. You're broadening their perspectives on, on what PDR is or what the business looks like or what the industry looks like. Bring them to SERS. Bring them to, to you know, Masters of Recon. Bring them to the SEMA and help help expose them to the education. Invite them to these events that will help um, level up your competition because stronger, stronger competitors, stronger people in your marketplace make the industry stronger as a whole. And if your objective is that consumers are better served, Helping others in the industry find that as well is part of that mission. So that would be my challenge to anybody listening. Amen to that. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Till the next time. See ya.